about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Well, I wonder whether you've seen one of the last scenes of the Titanic, the movie, where Jack and Rose are clinging together. And uh, Jack says to Rose, promise me, promise me, you will never let me go. Do you remember that moment? No. Obviously, some people are nodding. Okay, that's good. Maybe I should start with a different illustration. Uh, kind of lucked out at the last service too. Um, basically, when people are saying things as they're doing their final goodbyes, they often say really important things or things that are meaningful them, to them. And so, of course, Jack is saying to Rose, you've got to hold on, you've got to live life. And she remembers that moment later on and technically she saved and all that kind of thing. It's a, it's a beautiful moment. That moment in the movies is filled with pathos. It's that you, you feel it when you watch. You think, oh, wow, this is terrible. There's, there's this final parting. And as we come to this passage in Acts chapter 20, that kind of pathos is evident. Paul has been ministering to the Ephesian elders. Uh, they've met up and there's just this moment of, this is a final farewell. Do you hear those last words? We won't see your face again. Wow. And so it's not surprising that Paul has some things to say to them. And Luke, the writer of um, Acts, records those for us and also gives us some of the background to Paul's life and ministry as he comes up to this point. And so what we're hearing today is what really matters to Paul as he speaks to these Ephesian leaders. What really matters to him about life and ministry, what he wants to leave them with as he will no longer see them again. Now, just to give you some background, uh, we're dealing with Paul and he's at the place uh, up top there called Miletus. um, And he's he's basically uh, traveling around on a ship on his way to Jerusalem Uh, We know, in fact, that he's probably headed for Rome at this point. He understands that he'll be headed for Rome. Um, As we'll see from the passage, he knows that this will not be an easy journey. The leaders that he's speaking with come from Ephesus. They've come across um, a highway and visited with him. This is the kind of place they would have visited him at. Um, As you can see, there's not much sea there. And when we visited, they explained that basically the sea was quite a few miles away because it had all got filled in in the meantime. But this was right on the edge of the sea previously. And this is the kind of place uh, that Paul would have met these Ephesian leaders as he spoke with them on this particular occasion. Well, as we come to this this, uh, passage today, what I want to do is think about a number of different things. And I think I want to think about it under the heading of... What does it mean to be under the word of grace? What we see in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, some of his last words to the Ephesian leaders is this. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. 
Now, the important thing here to recognize is that this word of grace is not just a word of grace that says, this is how you become a Christian. This is a word of grace that goes on building his leaders up. Sometimes it's quite possible as we think about the Christian life to think of the word of grace, what Jesus has done for us on the cross, on our behalf, as something that we begin with and then we don't continue with. But what we're hearing here as Paul speaks to these leaders in Ephesus is that the word of grace actually continues. Um, We see this actually in Titus. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. So this word of grace that comes to us in Jesus, that comes to us in what he says to us, actually has a role of not only calling us to himself, but continuing to build us up, continuing to ensure that we grow under the word of grace. And so this morning I want to think about this word of grace under three different headings and basically take us through the passage and look at what it was saying, what um, Luke has been saying to us about Paul's activities. First of all, I want to think about how the building process actually works. Then I want to think about what are we called to focus on in times of difficulty. And then finally, why this should not be attempted alone. And I think we see these things under the heading of the word of grace uh, within this passage. Well, come with me to chapter 20, verses 17 to 21. And what we want to think about here is about how the building process actually works. How does the word of grace speaking into our lives actually work? Well, as Luke tells us, Paul had lived with people in Asia and particularly in Ephesus for three years and he was there um, under great difficulty. But look at what he did while he was there. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be um, helpful to you but have taught you publicly from house to house. He's obviously been moving from place to place to do this. And I've declared to both Jews and Greeks, that's a big Uh, development within the book of Acts that Greeks are involved that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus that is at the heart of the word of grace his word of grace that is we must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ now as I said before this is very often seen as something that you do when you become a Christian person And of course, it is what you do when you become a Christian person. But it's much more than that. It's actually a pattern of life. It's actually the way the word of grace takes effect within our lives. The need for repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Some have described this as a bit of a gospel dance. The Holy Spirit speaks into our lives We're called to repentance. We recognize where we've failed God, other people, ourselves. We turn around and go in the opposite direction and place our faith in Christ and we ongoingly go through this dance. And as we do that, we continue to grow and change the direction of our life with a new affection for Jesus Christ into love and freedom. We're saying yes to God and no to the things of the flesh. And that kind of cycle is the cycle of growing. 
recognizing within our own lives where there's things that we need to repent of, repenting of them, turning around, going in the opposite direction by placing our faith in Jesus Christ that he can take us in ways that he has called us to. Now, the thing about this is it's not only the direction we go, it's, it's the power to do this. As God speaks into our, our lives and his word of grace speaks into our lives, he enables us through his Holy Spirit to actually do this, to can keep moving forward. Now, I want to give you an example. And in some ways, the example is powerful for other reasons. And I don't want us to get lost for the other reasons. I want us to think about this example as a way of thinking about how repentance and grace works. Now, the example I want to share with you is a, a public example. Um, and so I'm not telling tales out of school, but it's about someone's repentance and how this actually worked and how this actually affected a church. Um, in another church that I had been, inv- been involved in, um, there were some leaders. Um, both of them were single leaders um, and they started going out together, which was, of course, a lovely thing. And um, over a period of time, it became evident that they were sleeping together. Um, once this became evident, they acknowledged that this was the fact and uh, they apologised um, to other leaders saying, we know that as Christians we're not called to sleep together before we get married and we're obviously doing that. And so everyone went, thank you. you know, we, we, we forgive you, we understand, we understand the, what's happening here. We want to support you and love you and care for you and build you up. Now they confessed that that was the case. What also became evident um, a number of months later was that actually the, re- the confession had taken place but not the repentance. And by that I simply mean they acknowledged their sinfulness before God but they continued in the relationship in the same way. And the result was that she fell pregnant. Now these as two leaders made a decision Uh, It's their decision. They weren't forced into it. They decided in their own congregation uh, to stand up before the congregation and acknowledge what had taken place. Now, that's an extraordinary thing to do, to be honest. Um, That was pretty amazing. Um, But as a couple, they stood up the front and acknowledged that uh, what they'd been engaged in was not something that they thought was honouring to God in terms of their relationship. The beautiful thing about it was that the whole congregation just enfolded them with love and grace and supported them to the hilt and cared for them and uplifted them and did everything they could. They decided to get married. The whole church pulled together, uh, organised the wedding. They had no money or anything, so people just piled in lots of goods. They had furniture. They had places to live. It, It was just a really beautiful moment of where repentance and faith was rewarded not only in their growth but in our growth as a church. We suddenly grew because we're seeing grace at work, not only in the lives of the people who'd been brave enough to stand up the front, but also in the lives of our church as we responded in care and love and community for this couple who needed support and encouragement at this particular time. Now, I use that example and I I recognise that it causes some problems. Uh, If you're feeling particularly annoyed at this point, I I get that because some people don't feel that this is is something that should be raised in this way. Um, I'm happy to chat afterwards. Um, Sometimes, though, what I've discovered, and I want to be very careful about the way I say these things, is that sometimes our annoyance when we hear of people repenting 
is actually something to do with us more than to do with the situation. So can I just tentatively raise that? Uh, Sometimes the people who've been most angry with me, as we've talked about it, are actually trying to deal with something in their own life um, as a result of their own need for repentance. And that's why it's important to also acknowledge there's something else going on here. This is not just about people using power and abusing power over one another or anything like that. It's not... It has no interest in that at all. You notice what Paul says? He comes to the province of Asia. He serves the Lord with great humility and tears in the midst of severe testing. Can I tell you as a pastor, if I've ever been in a situation where I I have to talk with someone about something like that, it's usually as a result of sleepless night and many tears. It is, is the least like, it's the thing that I least like doing in terms of my ministry. Because I know how painful it is not only for me, but for the people involved as well. And yet what Paul reminds us of here is this word of grace means that actually the only way we grow is through repentance and faith. Repentance and faith acknowledging what we've done, turning a different direction in the power of the Spirit and moving in a different direction. And my own experience is this. As I've longer been a Christian, I'm not repenting less, I'm repenting more. But the beauty of that is that as I understand with despair that yet again I've failed God in what I do and what I say and the way I treat people, And as I come back to him in repentance and seek to turn in a different direction, I become more aware of his grace. I become more aware of what it means to place my faith in Jesus Christ, more aware of the beauty of his gift of forgiveness and kindness and generosity towards me in the cross, more aware of what this rich grace actually means. But that only comes about as I become more aware of my need for that grace. And so I want to suggest to you that if you don't let yourself repent, then you don't actually become aware of this beautiful grace in all its richness and its kindness and its generosity. And so Paul has been spending these years with the Ephesian leaders, speaking to them this word of grace that calls people to repentance and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ because he's seeking to build them up. He's seeking to see them grow in what they do. Well, in addition to that, um, as we hear of Paul's story and what he's been doing, we hear of the great suffering that that has occurred. Uh, We know in past weeks that he's been stoned, left for dead, that he's had to escape various places, that he's been subject to all kinds of persecution, uh, both physically and verbally, and yet he has persisted. And it's because this word of grace has actually sustained him. Um, As we see in verse uh, 22, he has been compelled by the Spirit. Now, that's a really interesting word. Um, It's like he's been chained to the Holy Spirit. Um, As the Holy Spirit has led him, he's, he's been captivated by the Holy Spirit and led uh, further afield. And he's been going to Jerusalem. We know he's going to go on to Rome. And as he's gone, the Holy Spirit has actually warned him 
he's, he's in for a tough time. He's going to have a really difficult time when he goes to the next city, and yet he goes. And why is that? Well, he says his only aim is to finish and complete the task that the Lord Jesus had given him. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. See, as he's understood the word of grace in his own life, his focus has become singular. What does it mean to finish the race and complete the tasks the Lord Jesus has given me? And because his focus is so clear, he walks into those other situations knowing that they could be terrible, but he has the word of grace and he's been called to live in those circumstances. Now, we might not have exactly the same task as um, Paul here. He has a particular role in testifying to the good news of God's grace uh, because of his role within the uh, New Testament. But the truth is we all have a testimony. We all have an evidence of God's grace in our lives if we're following Jesus. And we are called to finish the race. It reminds us very much of that passage in Hebrews chapter 12 where we are told to throw off everything that hinders us, to run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And so what we're reminded of here in Paul's words, or in, sorry, in Luke's words about Paul, is that no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what circumstances we found ourselves in, no matter how difficult it gets and how tough it gets, we are called to set our eyes on Jesus. To see him as the perfecter, pioneer of our faith. Now I get that that's really difficult to do. I understand that that sometimes is almost impossible to do as we're subject to different uh, things in our lives, as we feel like we're victims of different situations, as we feel like there's injustice done, as we recognise or not even feel like we know that injustice has been done, as we recognise that things have not been right in our histories. It is very hard sometimes to fix our eyes on Jesus, to lift our eyes above ourselves, to fix our eyes on Jesus. And so that's why the passage goes on to say, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Because the truth is we cannot do this alone. We can only do through this through Christ's power at work in us. And he has gone before us and met all the temptations and all the challenges and all the problems we have in his life, death, and resurrection. And he says, consider me. Place your trust in me. I know you cannot do this by yourself. I know this is too hard. Let me do it for you. And so that's why Paul is able to say, I consider my life nothing. 
I don't think that means he ignores the fact that it's painful or difficult. In fact, he talks about that a number of different times, about the challenges that he has faced. But what it does is, in the midst of the challenges that he is facing and the difficulties that he's facing, it is he lifts his eyes. And he acknowledges who Jesus is. And he considers who Jesus is. And he says, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to be faithful to the end, no matter where I am and what context I find myself in. Well, finally, as we think about this word of grace and how it will build us up, we come to the end of the passage. And this is particularly spoken to leaders of churches, actually. Um, the whole passage actually is an interesting one because um, it is spoken, it's spoken to people who are inside the church. Every other passage within Acts, as Paul speaks, is spoken to people beyond the church walls. But here it's speaking particularly to leaders and particularly to leaders in church circumstances. So I feel the weight of it greatly as I, I speak with you about it this morning. He tells them that he has not hesitated from proclaiming the whole will of God. And I think that's significant because he hasn't picked and chosen and chosen which bits he's going to emphasize and which bits he likes better than others. He hasn't just done it because it's been easy to do. And that's a really tempting thing to do as a preacher, can I tell you? It's much easier just to pick passages you really like and, and skip the ones you really don't. Uh, far easier to do that. It's really difficult to preach on a passage that, that asks for repentance. Um, but he's preaching the whole will of God. Now, this week I was reminded of just how significant this is to do. Uh, Donald Robinson was a former archbishop in Sydney, was someone who actually uh, sent me out into ministry in, I know, 18, 19, no, it wasn't 18. Um, <laughs> may look like that. Um, 1985. Um, and one of the things he bought is not only leadership, but he also bought this ability to look at the Bible as a whole thing. Look at the Bible's story and understand the whole story as it came together. To seek the whole counsel of God. And later on, one of his students, uh, Graham Goldsworthy, some of you will know, uh, developed a way of coming to the Bible and seeing it as the whole will of God, the whole story of God, the whole narrative of God. And I want to suggest to you that this is more, really, really important for our context at the moment. Because what regularly happens, and I see it in the media all the time, and the way people argue things, is they grab a little bit of scripture, pull it out of context, and then apply it in a particular way. And you think, hang on, hang on, is this the whole counsel of God? Is, how does this fit within the whole story? There's a whole narrative here that needs to be understood within this story. You can't just pick, pluck things out there. You've got to think about this within the whole narrative of what God is doing. And so Paul has been doing that. He's been explaining how the Old Testament fits together, what it does, how it's pointed to Christ. And I think we need to continue to do that as well. Now, what I also love about what uh, Paul says at this point is that he recognises that he's called, and his, the Ephesian leaders are called to be shepherds of God's flock. The thing I love about that is it's God's flock. It's God's church. He's the one who cares about it. He cares much more than all the under-shepherds or the overseers. 
He's the one who's in charge and I, I, that is of a great relief to me because I know of how flawed and incapable I am and yet I know that God calls his church together, calls his people together and he's so committed that he's bought it with his own blood. Of course, Paul has a warning for the Ephesian elders at this time as well. He's very concerned that this narrative that he's been teaching, the whole will of God, will somehow be misconstrued and that people will take it away. So he talks about savage wolves coming in amongst them, not sparing the flock. People will distort the truth in order to draw disciples after them. And so he says to the Ephesian leaders, please, please be on your guard. Act as under-shepherds, act as overseers, guard against this within the life of those you oversee. Now, as I shared before, this is not a very easy thing to do if you're a leader within a church. It's extremely complicated. Um, I'll share with you another example, I may have used it before, where there was a man who turned up to our church, he was really delightful, fantastic, um, really friendly, all those kinds of things. And then a returned missionary drew me aside one day and said, I think he's a a really nice guy, but I'm pretty confident he doesn't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He believes that Jesus is a good guy. He believes in God, but he doesn't actually believe in the Trinity. He believes in a different God. Now, of course, my heart just sank uh, because I knew how popular he was and how many people loved him and and how much he was part of what we were doing. And, and so finally, she said, why don't we go and speak to him? And so together we went and met with him, had a cup of tea, and started talking and talking to him about what his view of God was. And sure enough, it was true. He didn't believe in Jesus as the Son of God. And so, of course, we, as we talked with him, we wanted to minister to him and apply the word of God's grace in those circumstances and call him back to following the word of God. And he just said no. And he left. Now, that kind of thing is done with tears and a recognition of how frail our leadership is. It's a really tough and difficult thing to do. And yet Paul says to the Ephesian leaders, if you're going to be an overseer, if you're going to be a leader in a church, you need to act in this way because the word of grace is so precious is so important. It's so important that people are not led astray. Be on your guard. I mean, it's interesting to think about the Ephesian church. In Revelation, we hear what happens to them. Um, As John speaks about the churches in Revelation chapter 2, this is what he says about, uh, he says some some positive things about the church in Ephesus, but this is what he also says. Look, you've lost your first love. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent, notice the words repent again, and do the things that you did at first. If you don't repent, I'll come to you and prove that your lampstand and remove your lampstand from its place. The call there is for the leaders in Ephesus to act in such a way as that people are restored to their passions of their first love. Something's happened in that church that meant that that passion has gone. And of course, that is. Uh, grounds for where people can come along and start leading people astray. If your first love isn't Jesus, it's so easy to get distracted and so easy to go, go elsewhere. 
And so Paul, um, as he speaks to these leaders in Ephesus, is trying to remind them, this is the word of grace. It's a challenging thing, but it's just a beautiful thing as well. It's there to build you up. It's there to transform your life, to lead you closer to God, to, to deal with all those things, to build structure into your life, to design your life out of the confusion that it is, to deal with the fears and anxieties, to build strength out of weakness, to build beauty out of ugliness. It's called the word of grace because God takes the raw materials which are our lives and transforms them into his likeness. So this morning I want to invite you to let the word of grace continue to minister to you, to let it speak to you in the difficult places and in the hard places, but draw you closer to him. And of course we do that in the context of community. That's where it needs to be done in community because we need to work out how to love and grow one another. How to do this, this is why we need it. That's why we meet together and able to speak into each other's lives this word of grace. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for this word of grace. And we recognise at one, one level it's really tough and difficult and calls us to things that we often don't like, like repentance. And yet we see just how beautiful it is when you call us to repentance and we place our faith in you and what that means for us growing up and being built up in you. And so, Father, where we've failed, we ask that you would help us continue to throw ourselves into your arms in repentance and faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.